Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're in the heart of our book, What About Evil? To see why men's hearts are so corrupt and evil <laughs> and why hurricanes happen and uh, bug bites and all sorts of That's right. uh, yeah. big evils People and little fall evils. People off bicycles. And yeah. <laughs> so we, we have to explain every single instance. So if we don't, then it just gives the atheists an ability to point to it and say, see, yeah, why see. did this happen? That's right. Stub so, their toe. Right. You, you don't have an explanation for it. <laughs> so... Uh, we, we've, we've crested the hill type deal. Uh, we, we've, we've, uh, come to the apex of his, his theory of the greater glory theology or theodicy, and he has developed his theology. And, uh, right now he's, uh, going over, uh, kind of the importance of, uh, God, who God is, why he receives glory. And now, uh, in chapter 14, the peerless redeemer, he's talking about, uh, probably one of the best chapters I've read. It's very succinct, very good on why Jesus had to come, yeah. how he did, in the form that he did, what he did, why he did certain things. <laughs> I, I, I was I just tweeted out uh, after saying, "Hey, we're getting ready to shoot this, but buy this book just for this chapter because yeah. it, it's yeah, just a good chapter." It, bookmark this if you have good reads and you you you. Uh, you know, uh, delve down into like, oh, he, here's the, the books I have on this subject. Put this book in incarnation so that when you have questions on the incarnation, this is this is a, this uh, is a chapter, chapter you're gonna yeah. you're gonna really refer to, and it just <laughs> it just he just does an excellent excellent job on this. So, so okay, so uh, we start out by uh, by saying that uh, we saw at the end of the previous chapter in chapter thirteen the, uh, that that uh, there is something deeply ironic, surprising and unconventional about the way in which the triune God addresses the problem of evil, mm. right? Uh, he doesn't come down and, and, and wipe it out. He doesn't snap his fingers like Q, you know, uh, in, in the old Star Treks of, of just, oh, he, he changes everything and now, you know, uh, everything's in the upside down world and you have to figure out what happened and <laughs> if you need it. Um, but uh, he, he, he sends this, this baby into the world and, this baby is is of two natures, and there, there's something odd and yeah, weird about, yeah. about what's going on here. <clears throat> Jesus Christ defeats evil in a comprehensive display of both conventional and unconventional power. Kind of what you would expect from an all-powerful guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> evil comes face-to-face, -face, not just with the usual and ex uh, expected displays of divine retribution, the, the, the anger, the, the judgment... Wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 fire, brimstone, the, <laughs> you know, the, the the sulfur, all that stuff, but also the unusual and unexpected display of his extraordinary mercy, mm. judgment, expected mercy, the weird. Yeah, the unexpected. We, we don't expect the, the God of perfect and judgment and glory and majesty to go. There is another way. Yeah, yeah. And that this required the incarnation. Of the Son of God, which Son of God manifesting in the incarnation, this is this is the weird, the the, the the odd, the unexpected. It required that God invest Himself in weakness and vulnerability, and this is utterly confounding. And people have been writing for it about it yeah. for two thousand years, and still <laughs> marvel and weep and are scratching their heads and 
uh, it's it's a it's a point of uniqueness that the the Christian faith has is that there's nothing that we do is our message, but we, our message is who someone is, and yeah. and it's not it's an end unto itself. It's not this person's really smart. Here's the message they have: uh, Muhammad, Buddha, uh, they're all smart people in that religion that you listen to because they're holy men. But here we preach Jesus Christ as the means to the, to the, to the end. And, and ultimately our, our message is a person rather than the, the, the full on messages. Right. Right. Exactly. And so Christensen, you know, with regard to this weirdness, right. Ask, um, you know, how can the son of God be joined to the, uh, uh, you know, fragile, uh, finite creation, right? How does the, uh, uh, does God mark, you know, with s- supremacy and immutable strength, overpower evil with weakness, right? right? So not what expected. The mystery of the incarnation, he tells us, and the crucifixion of the Son of God takes us to the nucleus of the divine solution to the problem of evil, right? He says, in this paradoxical reality, all the splendid rays of divine glory kind of converge and uh, shine forth at their brightest, right? right? right. The, the, and the New, New Testament is replete with this understanding of uh, I, I've come to bring you the ultimate message, not with words of wisdom and and uh, you know my 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 speech, my tongue is of silver. It's no no no. What pe- uh, people view as kind of the the stupid, I come to revel in it, or uh, I come foolishness. W- yeah, I, what I come, they see yeah, as foolishness. Yeah, yeah th- th- this is this is weird. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm going to preach something that is antithetical to the people of the Acropolis of of, of Mars Hill, and they're going to th- to to say. That there's the resurrection of the dead would be the worst thing I could possibly teach from, and yet some listen and some believe from that message. Yeah. So it's a it's a, a it's a message that even the the writers understand is unique and unexpected. But point back to the Old Testament of saying, for those who have eyes to uh, see and ears to hear, this is what we should have come to expect and. You have like the Bereans searching the scripture and, and checking and seeing if Paul was actually telling the truth. And they say, oh, yep, uh, well, we're, we're some of the best scripture believers. Scripture backs it because up, Because right? we go yeah. back and we turn to, yeah. to Jonah. And here, here's here's the, 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 the God who offers mercy against uh, uh, the, those that uh, that would reject him. But everyone believes in, in, in this. And it's unexpected mercy that, that comes about there. Mm. Yeah. All right. So the battle cry of the incarnation. So the early church needed to bring clarity to the doctrine of God, the, the theology proper. We, we're something new is is occurring. We're we're writing stuff down, and the, the some of the biggest explosion of religious writing happens because people are reading their Bibles. They're getting saved. Uh, they're writing. Big tomes, uh, you know, all the all the hard words are coming in because you're in the midst <laughs> of of a, uh, a a Greek and Roman world, and so you're you're using terms like logos and uh, morph and and all all these things that have a uh, a philosophical con- connotation that uh, that we're bringing in and trying to understand who is God, what what makes him up, what makes God God and others not, and uh, th- this is where um, after the incarnation, the death, and resurrection, the very early church is writing about this right. because they're curious of. Okay, exactly. What does this mean? What do we see from Scripture that we can 
systematized and right. say, this is God and this is not God. Right. How can we explain what happened? Right. And this thrusts Christians into debates about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, uh, in, in fact, it, it's, it's almost odd that early church writing is more about um, uh, d- defining the borders than it is about kind of convincing people, you know, it, oh, Jesus didn't have a body. Well, that's not what scriptures say. So let's, let's, uh, let's uh, codify it and signify it in uh, early creeds. And eventually uh, this resulted in the finely tuned definition of Christ's identity formulated at the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451. So uh, the Roman world uh, splits in the, the Western Eastern uh, 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 kingdoms in uh, 286, and then right before Germanic barbarians take out the Western <laughs> Kingdom, which will upend the entire system that has been around since 27 BC, and and the Pax Romana is done. The split in uh, in in 476 is when the Western uh, uh, Kingdom just gets taken out, and up until what like the Ottoman Empire, you won't have another kind of big empire. And so in the midst of this, you have a council that is sitting around and able to think about these things yeah, in the yeah. terms of Greek philosophy and, 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 uh, uh, Roman Kone Greek and Latin. And they're, they're writing about this stuff and meeting and trying to define the borders of all these Gnostic, uh, people coming in the second and third century. Um, Michael J. Kruger has a really good book about, about, um, kind of that influence coming in, which was expected in the New Testament. And we see uh, them further defining the orthodoxy and not all these little orthodoxies that are the might, the, 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 the might out, out there as uh, Kostenberger um, and Michael J. Kruger wrote, wrote about, about, you know, the, 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 the Bauer hypothesis right, was, was right. that, no, no, no. There was the orth- a, a orthodoxy set wasn't wasn't created. It right. was just right uh, recognized. Right, really. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, Council of Chalcedon it, it didn't come up with brand new stuff. It was signifying, okay, here's what we know, and here's what is uh, outside of that known items. And so, if you read some of the the stuff from the council, um, they talk about. Um, you know, uh, that, uh, that that there's one Christ, Lord, Son of God, only begotten, uh, but comes from Mary. There's two natures which undergo no confusion, no change, no division, no separation. Um, I mean, we have the words, and so they're not they're not surprised by these proclamations. This is all these outside things are, are coming in, and we want to make clear what we talk about. Okay, so Jesus is fully God and fully man. To say that is... 400 years of church right, history right, yeah. writing about it and right. defining it and, and trying to come to, to, to understanding of, okay, what is, what do we mean by nature? And, and do we, can we apply uh, uh, kind of the, the, the um, Hellenistic Greek understanding uh, uh, philosophy that has gone out into the world because of the Greeks and the Romans? And can we utilize it for our understanding of things like the Trinity and mm-hmm. being in person? Very important could we have not gotten that until maybe this moment in history? So, uh, you know, I always like to say like Jesus comes at a time when the Roman world has built the roads, which the gospel goes out on. Mm-hmm. And so that's just an amazing thing of the time and place. And it seems like this would be a harder concept if you put it in 400 BC. Right. right. So, 
don't know. The Greek world, by the way, had built the language that the gospel went out on. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah, convergence of and a, a lot of things. language, that, yeah, too. Yeah. 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 Which, which ironically, uh, people of the church and people who got power of the church would try and go away from a common language to, <laughs> to have things like only in Latin. And you'd have people burned at the stake for going, hey, how about in German? Wouldn't it be nice if, <laughs> if that right. farm boy English, over there could, could know about the gospel? <laughs> whoa, 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 that's way too much power. Oh, you're telling me that the gospel has power. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> Uh, so uh, he, he, he has a really good uh, section here on, on uh, the Council of Chalcedon, and he says, uh, uh, We all with one voice teach the confession of one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus, the perfect uh, in the divinity and the perfect in humanity, the same truly God and truly man of a rational soul and a body, uh, consubstantiation uh, of one substance with the Father as regards his divinity and some consubstantiation with us as regards his humanity, like us in all respects except for sin. Yeah. And it goes on, and, and you can read these these yeah. confessions of the early church, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's not Dan Brown level. Oh, it was a close one. It's like <laughs> two people, yeah. like, said no, and yeah. then they were... <laughs> yeah, the overwhelming, yeah. everybody basically said this is what the deal was, <laughs> right. right? And so Christian tells us that while, you know, many claim that this battle to identify the Redeemer of the world involves unnecessary hair splitting, right? He says, the fact is pinning down the precise nature of the Supreme protagonist makes all the difference between a winsome figure, you know, parading across the stage uh, of history and the one victor standing apart. Again, this idea of peerless, right? Right. Standing apart from all other victors who has the unique and unprecedented qualities that are indispensable uh, to defeat the crisis uh, of a wrecked creation, right? So we have this, you know, he says Jesus stands apart. And so they had to get this right. They had to clearly understand this in order to realize what God had done and right. what he was doing, right? Right, especially in a world with like, uh, demigods and, you know, Hercules, okay, well, he's he's of a, uh, a sexual nature. He's part God and part uh, uh, human. And he has certain qualities like super strength or, or, you know, he's just blessed to uh, have the gods bless him like uh, Perseus or, or something like that, or he's able to defeat the certain titans uh, because of, of who his lineage is. And so they're existing in a world where they're coming into contact with things like, oh, well, you know, is, is it half and half? You know, he, he, right. Jesus what exactly is, does it is, mean? Is, yeah. is kind of this mixture. And so these things, while we wouldn't think is important, are, and, and the, the hair splitting is maybe what we would call it, it's very important mm. at that time and place mm. to, to understand to right. yeah. exactly, you know, the kind of the, the ontology of, of what makes uh, the incarnation, Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, unique. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what does that makeup look like and consist of? And what are the implications from that, too, especially when it comes to uh, the death and resurrection? What What is exactly he, who is, who is he dying for? How is he dying is it effective and for whom and all these questions. So what we think might be hair splitting is, is it turns out to be very important when you right. get down to those questions and ask, okay, well, if Jesus is like this, then how does he do whatever it is he does? Yeah, exactly. And so Christian says, you know, only uh, Christensen rather only one who is truly and perfectly God. And at the same time, truly and perfectly man can undo the malevolent forces wreaking havoc on our planet and the ruin of creations, uh, creator, creators, right? The, the creations of God 
who bear a, a shattered image of their God, right? Only one who is both God and man can resolve this particular issue is what he's getting at. And so the incarnation had to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And is this in this idea of the Trinity, uh, which we always, uh, you know, I, I think early on we, we, we say things like, oh, it's, it's one plus one plus one equals one. It's like, well, if you want to, get get in there it's one times one times one or you know it, it's 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 uh it's this understanding of use the right map well yeah the, 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 there's a trinity where i'm i'm having to to kind of th- think of my what, what exactly are my my um my classifications and so being and person come in and so within the nature of christ he he doesn't exist like in a in a trinity form himself but he is of a two natures he is of uh, uh, a, a fullness of, of two. And so um, he has to be both in, in order for this to happen. And is that possible? And so as we get further into this chapter, again, a really good job of showing exactly why this needs to be and why these definitions are important. Hmm. All right. So uh, the, the um, mystery of the incarnation says that uh, it, he goes on to say, even though uh, Chalcedon brought us a clarity concerning the identity of Christ, it was not removed it hasn't removed all the mysteries surrounding the incarnation. Who would think that uh, an all-powerful, all-knowing God who creates uh, uh, everything out of nothing would would leave us with a few questions? Yeah, uh, yeah really, some mystery. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure how how this happens. Well, okay, well, you know, we only have uh, a, a certain book that uh, we we view as his authoritative word, and uh, guess what? He doesn't he doesn't tell us why. Our our, our aunt uh, Anne uh, had to die at a certain point in time, but. Does it speak to the greater um, story of why death is happening and, mm-hmm. and, and how does he move within that? Well, he doesn't tell us absolutely everything. Right. There really, is still this mer- right. uh, mystery uh, retained, but it does offer us uh, a specific revelation that we wouldn't have gotten just by looking out to the stars and thinking about things really, really hard. <laughs> Without forfeiting anything of his infinite divine essence, again, very important, the Son of God suddenly appears within his person a finite human nature that would appear to be incongruous with his pre-existing divine nature. It seems uh, contradictory, but instead of contradiction, it's a paradox. It's, right. it's this unexpected thing that happens, and in a in a in a uh, uh, Old Testament in a in a world where unexpected comes from what is expected. Oh, it's definitely going to be this first person that's that's going to hold the power. Oh, second person. Oh, that's right. it's not even yeah. these two. It's the third one. Uh, 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 you know, the, these unexpected things happen, and we should expect the right. unexpected. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's what Christensen tells us. Right, this does not create a contradiction. Right, uh, he asks the question, "Does it?" Right, he says, "How? how you know, the issue is how can." Uh, uh, the uncreated creator, right, uh, and the created be united in one person, right? This, you know, he says it seems like uh, asking how fire and ice can coexist, <laughs> yeah. right? And this, this, the hot fire is really cold, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he says there's really no formal uh, contradiction. Right, an here. A and a not A. Right, uh, it's, right. it's, it's, it's the car is in, in the garage and it's not in the garage. That right. would be a formal contradiction. Exactly right. He says, there, but there is a deep, as you mentioned there, paradox and mystery, right? One that is essential to our understanding of how the crisis of the fall not only is solved, but supremely magnifies the glory of the transcendent authority of history, right? right. So he solves the problem and it glorifies God at the same time. Right. 
And then he moves on uh, for the reason of the incarnation. <clears throat> he says, uh, while the fuss to maintain these precisely calibrated tensions, why, why, why not just, uh, you know, it's, it's God in, in human form and, uh, you know, we, we don't really care about what happens after that. Why does things like the hypostatic union matter? Um, big words. Uh, uh, it seems like, oh, a mixture of natures or separation, <laughs> but 100% fully versus uh, versus half and half. Uh, why, why, why does all this matter? Well, because the precise and unparalleled dynamic that encompasses the identity of Christ are critical to the work of Christ. Redeeming a wrecked, a wretched world requires a special redeemer. Exactly. Such a unique redeemer would need to be free from the stain of sin that affects every other human creature in order to offer himself to God as an acceptable propitiation, as atoning sacrifice to sin. You find that in uh, Hebrews 2 and 1 Peter 1. And so this this uniqueness where he has to have kind of a, a human nature, right. but, but it also seems like... The Bible says, if you have a human nature, it is impossible to Not fully carry sinner. out. Yeah. You have to be almost godlike in order to carry out the law. Yeah. So how do we do it? Yeah. The incarnation. That's right. So he has the human nature, and yet he's without sin. Right. right. So so that's and that's the uniqueness of Christ. And thus all mankind, without exception, falls under divine uh, retributive. Condemnation, right? God's uh, retribution. But uh, God in his unexpected extraordinary grace and electing uh, freedom may choose to pardon some, uh, some of the ill-deserving sinners, right? That's what Ephesians 1 uh, talks about, by diverting their just punishment to the uniquely suited God-man whose penal substitutionary death effectively secures the expiation. Boy, he's really getting into it. Right? <laughs> yeah. That means the removal, expi- you know, to expiate, to remove their guilt while meeting uh, his own righteous demand. So God uh, uses Christ, right, the God-man, as our substitution mm-hmm. so that our guilt and sin would be removed. That's what he's uh, attempting to say here, right? Or at least that's what he is saying, and I'm attempting to, to repeat it. Right, right. right. <laughs> or, uh, theology words all the way down. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so he tells us that if, uh, if that substitute were himself stained by sin, and this is the point we were making earlier, right, if Jesus was just a human, if he was stained by sin, then his death would fail as an atonement, right? right? It would be nothing more, he tells us, than the just recompense of his own rebellion, right? Right. So how, how does he pay, uh, how does he live a perfect life? And then how does he pay for everyone? For, yeah, but, yeah. So it, it needs to be this, this both. It's a, it's a yes and right. uh, uh, type uh, answer here. So the reconciliation of sinners to a holy God could happen no other way except through both the humble incarnation of the Son of God and the high cost involved in his bloody atonement. In John 14 and Acts 4 says this, the incarnation and atonement are inseparably linked. It needs to be uh, both here. The human blood of the incarnate second person of the Trinity had to be spilled. God in his immaterial being has no circulatory system, no heart, no arteries, no veins, and no blood. (laughs) 
for God to shed blood, he had to become man. Absolutely. Uh, right. There's a quote that he pulls here. I, I wrote, wow, exclamation mark, <laughs> twice in, in this chapter. And so yeah. I, I, I have to, to, to read this. So um, he's quoting the nihilist uh, Albert Camus, who um, I've, I've read some of his stuff before. And um, he, he comes from this philosophy. Uh, one of his most well-known one is uh, without meaning in the universe because, uh, you know, there, there's no... There's, there's nothing outside of us. There, there's, there's only what we bring to the table, and I can't even be sure about you. So if all life is Thanks. pain, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, I, I know my mind. I don't know other minds. So since all life is pain, um, it, is, it, is it moral? Is it the correct response to kind of kill yourself? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and th- that's kind of the question. Right. He brings in, yeah. uh, well, if there's no meaning out there, then we can generate He says kind of suicide is really the only the first and only <laughs> serious question in philosophy. Yeah. That's what he yeah. says. Right? And, uh, and uh, you know, Camus is, is kind of known for pithy things, but if you read kind of his larger things, uh, it, it, you kind of get bogged down in a, you know, what type mm-hmm. nature, but he says, he says this, and I, I really, I'm going to read this entire quote that he provides. Cause so this is a nihilist. This is an unbeliever. This is someone who hears this message and rejects it. So mm-hmm. he says, in that Christ has suffered and had suffered voluntarily, suffering was no longer unjust, and all pain was necessary. In one sense, Christianity's bitter into, into, uh, intuition and legitimate pessimism concerning human behavior is based on the assumption that overall injustice is as satisfying to man as total justice. Only the sacrifice of an innocent God could justify the endless and universal to- torture of in- innocence. Only the most abject suffering by God and the uh, assuage man's agony. If everything, without exception, in heaven and earth is doomed to pain and suffering, then a strange form of happiness is possible. So this is, again, an unbeliever (laughs) who is probably writing way better on why the incarnation has to happen and what that means and what it requires uh, then, then uh, I'll put myself on the chopping block. Anything that I could come up with, and mm. and he does just really, really well on on pulling this this quote. He must have Christensen must have had this in his back pocket to to <laughs> post it up on his his uh, his board with the the yarn on it to to bring this chapter together. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you next time.